Check it out. Welcome to Top of the Class. Hear from education experts and get insights from high achievers to learn how you can do the same. Get into those top schools. Ready? Proudly presented by Crimson Education, the world's leader in university admission support. Hey, Tressa, welcome to the Top of the Class podcast. It's awesome to have you on the show. Now, of course, we've known each other for a couple of years now, uh, being at Crimson, but our lovely listeners probably aren't aware of all the amazing things that you do. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Hi, everyone. Nice to be here for my uh, my debut, as it were. Um, yeah, my name's Tressa. I am from the States, which you can probably tell from my accent, and I've been with Crimson for about two years. Um, I am the director of extracurricular and leadership or ECL as we call it. And um, I also mentor uh, as with director, I'm also mentoring students. And really what we're focused on is helping our Crimson students build up their activity lists and then develop leadership projects. Those are our, our two big goals for all of our ECL students. Awesome. Now, how many people, how many kind of mentors do you oversee in your role? There are about almost 200 of them. Uh, so quite a few, quite a few. Um, and then between those almost 200 mentors, we have probably like 2,500 students. Wow. 2,500 students, 200 mentors. How do you select mentors to join the ACL program? That's a great question. And is a huge part of my role is trying to figure out who those people should be. I actually did an, an audit of sorts where we looked at like, okay, who are our mentors right now and which ones are doing really well and how can we learn from that in order to hire more people like that? Mm-hmm. And what we learned from the data we pulled and sort of analyzing what that data said about our mentors is that our best performing ACL mentors are um, often in the arts and humanities, which was unexpected, um, particularly because we know that a lot of students want to work with someone in STEM However, our successful mentors are actually folks that don't necessarily work in STEM. They're people that are really involved in community service, people that uh, maybe have created their own businesses, have writing degrees, work in sort of like social spaces like political science, international relations, business. Um, These are the types of people that we actually found we're doing we're doing really well with our students so that is who we try to hire they are also a mix of undergrads graduates and postgrads but typically around college age students but we do have some really excellent um, folks that have had like full-time careers and are now coming back to to work with us and work with our crimson students but yes there's a lot of variety a lot of people in the, in the, in the states but we're trying to hire people you know in other regions at the moment yeah, and, and so for Crimson students, they work pretty much exclusively with one particular mentor that they get paired up with for the duration of whatever project they're working on. Is that correct? Yep, exactly. So an ECL mentor is the person that a student will work with on the activity list and developing a leadership project, right? So sometimes our Crimson students will work with that one person for four or five years because they will have come on, you know, when they're in four years before they're going to apply. So they'll start with working with that person then. If that's the case, that ECL mentor is going to be starting from the bottom and working up like, okay, let's build your leadership or your extracurricular profile from the bottom up. Let's get involved in clubs. Um, some of our students come in, you know, six months before they're going to apply. So our goal with, with those students is to develop a leadership project in that amount of time. So it's those two main pieces, developing the profile overall. And then one of the 
the big things on the, that profile is the leadership project. Right. Now, for students who may not be familiar with the college process, et cetera, this is what we're mainly focusing on at the moment. It's mainly your focus when we're talking ACLs. And it's, you know, the activity list is 10 different activities that students have to display. And then is the leadership project a part of that 10? Yep, exactly. So the leadership project represents the best extracurricular uh, on that profile. The, the shining star is what I call it of your profile. It's not always the case. Sometimes students have multiple shining stars, in which case the leadership project is just one of those very impressive activities. But it's also kind of important to think about like strategically when we're helping kids build these projects, helping students build these projects, we want them to be thematically uh, beneficial as well. So something that combines multiple interests of theirs, something that's going to tie their leadership or excuse me, their extracurricular profile together. Right. So be related to their intended major or um, sort of be the thing that represents the best of who they are as a as a community member and as an academic. I think this is the really crucial part of ECL mentoring. And this is something that when I was in high school, I didn't ever think about that. And it wasn't really a thing that people talked about to get tutoring or or mentoring in your extracurriculars. I was really the scattergun approach. And whatever my school said, hey, you should do this. I was like, sure, I'll do that. And never really thinking about what was the holistic type of experience that I was trying to build through all these things? Because at the end of the day, you spend so much time in your extracurriculars. Um, you spend so much time on subject selection here in Australia, in any case, like we spend a lot of time thinking about what subjects we want to study, but probably not as much time thinking strategically about what we want to do in the extracurricular space. Uh, so a, a quick question for you is like, what is that process like to take a student through or like the parents and the student through hey, like, what are you interested in? What's out there? And I guess also expanding the horizons of what students might think extracurriculars are and really taking them to the edges of like what it could be. Yeah, and that's actually the place I usually start is like describing, well, what is an extracurricular to my new students? You know, extracurricular, you can think about it as extracurriculum, right? It's it's in the name and it's it's defined as any activity that you partake in that is not for high school credit. And this includes, yes, sort of the things we think of like sports and music and um, clubs, but it can also include things like taking care of a family member who is ill or elderly. It can include things like uh, a paid job or an unpaid job. It can include summer camps, internships, right? So making sure that students understand that anything that they are involved in and passionate about outside of school that they're not getting credit for, that's an extracurricular. Um, And I think that that's an important place to start as well, because it helps you understand, oh, well, how do I spend my extra time, right? Like, is it playing video games? Is it, oh, I love hanging out with my family and visiting my extended family? Is it Googling like random startups in your area just because you're interested, right? So, and I sort of describe this as like, what is the thing that gets you up in the morning? What are the things that when you know that's something you're going to do that day, you're excited to go and do it? Um, And that's like a good place to start. Of course, there's a lot more strategy we can do around what those specific activities are going to be, but we have to start from a place of passion. What are you interested in? What makes you excited to get up in the morning? yeah, there's there's a lot to it. It feels like a, a nuanced thing because on one hand, you want it to be authentic. I mean, so this is a way that we evaluate activity lists. So my team, essentially, to back up, we have constructed a way to evaluate and give scores to activity lists mm-hmm. that our students have created or have worked on um, prior to them submitting to college applications, right? What are the elements of how we score an activity? 
one of the things is authenticity. And so you will get an activity and then rate it on a score of one to four based on how authentic it feels. That has to do with how related it is to the other things in the student's academic profile. So this is the essay, Mm. the interview, academics. Does it feel reasonable that the student actually cares about this thing and did it because they care about it and are interested in it? Or did they just do it to do it? That's what the authenticity score is about, right? The other elements um, in terms of trying to evaluate an activity is um, uniqueness, right? Mm -hmm. So you can get points for the more unique an activity is, depth and length of participation, right? So part of the common app is actually filling in, this is how many years I did something and this is how many hours per week I did that thing, right? Mm -hmm. Another um, aspect of an activity we look for is achievement. So this has to do with like how much given what position you had in the activity, did you accomplish in that time? Um, This can often look like, oh, I had a leadership role in this club, or I scaled the project up. So it became even more impactful, kind of, uh, it can be a lot of different things. But anyway, I think that can be helpful for students to understand too, is there are these different ways of thinking about how strong an activity is. My mind is literally racing through all the podcast episodes that we've had and how that particular rubric of, you know, how you would judge or how you would score an activity list uh, fits with a lot of our past students that have been on the show. And like the authenticity is one thing that really shines through and the uniqueness and the achievement. Well, I guess they all shine through. That's why it's called top of the class. That's why they're on the show, I guess. But yeah, like it's really interesting to go back to the authenticity side, because I think that's one that has that vagueness about it in a way, because I think a lot of students would see other kids getting into top colleges with a particular type of extracurricular. And they're like, oh, I should do that because that's what gets you into Stanford or Harvard or whatever, but it you know might not necessarily be authentic. And it, it's odd to think that like looking after a family member, uh, you know, who might be ill or, or doing these things that are really close to home is really what's authentic and could actually end up getting you into one of these elite colleges. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. And that's a very strange one because It's actually that particular type of activity is very highly valued by admissions officers, but you can't participate in that intentionally. Yes. So it's sort of a catch 22 because I'm not trying to say, go take care of a family member. I mean, that doesn't make sense unless that's your situation, but it's an example of like, if this is a responsibility you have and you need to spend part of your week as a 15, 16, 17 year old dedicated and focused on this task. That's a valuable thing like that, that demonstrates who you are as a person and who you are as a community member. Therefore, it's a valuable extracurricular, but you can't just copy that. You can't just do that to do that. And I think that relates to another sort of overarching theme that's important to understand, particularly when it comes to U.S. colleges. And this is somewhat true for the U.K., but a little bit less so. You know, we all have seen sort of the videos and movies and shows about U.S. colleges. And that's why they're so popular is is like, oh, there's this whole community around the school, right? It's the fraternities and the sororities and the clubs Mm -hmm. and the campus Mm -hmm. and the living and the dining and the everything. So being at a university in the U.S., yes, it's about the academics. Of course, it's about the degree, but you're a part of a community. You're a part of a small city. And so when admissions officers are reading your application, they want to know that you're going to be a value add to that community, that you're going to start clubs, you're going to start initiatives, you're going to make people in the community safe, you're going to help, you're going to contribute. And so that's why it is, you know, a part of the application, because that's the kind of environment you are applying into. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, obviously, we, we got to talk at some point about COVID-19. I, I did mention off air that Melbourne is in the longest lockdown in the world and we still are here in Australia. But of course, like there was all these different seminars that we were doing as soon as like COVID broke out and people started going into lockdown about what extracurriculars look like in lockdown, because most students had their extracurricular list kind of devastated by the fact that they weren't able to join these clubs or get out there. What do you think it looks like now? Has COVID had like a permanent effect on the way students operate in in extracurriculars? Has it expanded potentially the array of different extracurricular students could do because they went so far into the internet or digital world to to try and get around COVID? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, What's funny is, so I'm, I'm an artist and, a, and one of the things that I think about and talk about with my colleagues and coworkers is that sometimes it's easier to create something when you're in a constrained environment. Mm. So this means, in my example, it would be like, oh, I, uh, I'm traveling right now, but I really want to paint something. Oh, I only have a pencil and pen. Okay, I have to make something, right? So just like physical or logistical constraints on something. But then because of that, you end up creating something really interesting because of those constraints. So that's the way I like to think about this. And I actually think it's become quite true. Obviously, I'm not saying that, oh, COVID's a great thing because now we have great extracurriculars. But there is a way of thinking about this as a as a um, a way to spark more imaginative and creative solutions to things like in every aspect of the world. So what I want to say about doing ECLs and COVID is start with your community, which is what I would say before COVID as well. Like, Mm. what does your community need right now? And that could be your apartment building. So I know you and I just talked about how things are getting delivered uh, in Melbourne because of the like million year lockdown. Um, so like, is, is the apartment building, I don't know, struggling to organize where the packages are going in your building. Can you be helpful for two hours every other day of the week in your apartment building? Like that's an extracurricular, right? So really starting small and, and just thinking, how can I be helpful here? What skills do I have already that I can contribute to my community? And that can be again, as small as an apartment building. It can be your school, it can be your city, it can be your County, your state, your country, right. We can scale it up. Um, but it's a mindset. It's about like, what are creative solutions to the problems I'm seeing around me and how can I help solve them? Yeah, absolutely. Which is a, a fantastic tip. Now, uh, last question before you go would be using examples of some of your students that have come through Crimson or mentors that have, are currently with us. Uh, what would be some of your advice for students out there who are, you know, Obviously, people who listen to the show are usually pretty switched on, I'm guessing. Like for the students who have messaged me on LinkedIn, they're like got great LinkedIn profiles usually and they're they're onto it type of thing. Uh, But what advice would you give to students using some of the examples that we've had uh, in the past to kind of help them out over the next 6, 12, 18 months before they apply? Yeah. So, I mean, I have kind of two responses to that. I think the first is I wanted to give an example of a student who um, is working on a mask sharing project. And it was something that is an example of what I will describe later and is called the MVP model or the minimum viable product. Um, And this model, I think, is extremely helpful when we're developing leadership projects. And this student did this really well. So this student, I'll give this example. When COVID first happened, so at this point, this is like a year and a half ago, um, she thought in her head, you know, the students in China. And she was like, I'm hearing about all these communities like an hour from me, these rural areas that aren't getting masks. Like they don't have access to it. The resources aren't there. How can I help? 
So she literally started a donation among friends and family and was like, Hey, contribute a dollar, this and that I'm going to buy masks, drive it over there and give them to the people that need it. Right. So just a very like literal, tangible, helpful thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it quickly actually gained media coverage um, in her city and then exploded overnight. And so she ended up delivering like thousands and thousands of masks, hand sanitizers, gloves, and then eventually um, testing kits to different regions in her, I'm not sure if you'd call it a region in China, um, but to her surrounding community, right? So this is also a great example of what I want to call the MVP model. Um, This isn't the idea that instead of starting a project with one big idea and saying, okay, I want to build this, this huge, um, you know, donation system where people donate. And then I deliver thousands of masks to the people in the rural communities around me. It's like, okay, that's all well and good, but you have to start small in order to get there. So if we think about like the metaphor of like, okay, the project is trying to build a truck. That's the metaphor. I'm trying to build a truck. The Mm -hmm. truck is the project, right? So one way to do that is saying, okay, I'm going to build the wheels, then I'm going to build the frame on top of the wheels, then I'm going to build the part where you sit in the truck, and then I'm going to build the cargo hold in the back, and then I have a truck. The problem with that model is that nothing is usable until the last step, until the fourth step, I have a truck. An alternative way of thinking about this is to start by building a bicycle. Okay, it's not the truck. It's not even close. But I can put it on the road and it takes me from point A to point B and it's a transportation vehicle, right? Yes. And you put it on the road, you test it and you're like, okay, this is what I learned about that. Next, I'm going to build a a motorcycle. So I'm going to add a motor to it and see what happens there. I'm going to put it on the road, test it out. Stage three is a car. Okay. It's not quite the truck. It's bigger, right? So we're scaling up until finally you're building the truck. And the reason this is valuable is at every stage, step one, two, three, and four, the project is usable. You can put it on an application. You can say you accomplished something. You can put it on the road and test it and get feedback about whether it's working or not and then scale it up. So this is an approach I love and I actually use it like in my own professional work um, all the time. And I suggest it for all my students so that you're cutting a project into bite-sized pieces, eventually trying to build that truck. But Mm. again, starting in the bicycle phase with something you can actually use. I love that. I love that uh, analogy. I think the uh, yeah students should be going out there thinking about the, you know, maybe aspiring to the truck, but certainly starting off with the bicycle. And I think that is one of the reasons why we're doing the show. You know, these students have amazing profiles, but inevitably, like, you know, if you look at their profile just at face value, you're like, oh my gosh, how did they achieve that type of thing? Yeah. And that's why we do the show because they talk often about the bicycle and how they got started and the people they met and the steps they took to get to where they are today. Um, so, yeah, for students out there, like, looking at these, you know, big hairy goals, I celebrate the students with that kind of ambition, but it looks really hard until you look at what the bicycle version of that big hairy goal might be. Well, and that's the thing is no truck was built without the bicycle. Like all those projects had a bicycle phase. So it's not that they built something overnight. It's that they scaled something up. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I know we'll put some details in the show notes about how to get more involved with Crimson, how to, you know, learn a little bit more about what extracurriculars and leadership might look for students if they're in kind of year, you know, any time in high school, really. Like we're a big believer that students, you know, it doesn't matter what their age, it it only matters about their interests and motivation and all these kinds of things. Uh, we'll put some links in the show notes for students to learn more about our approach to extracurriculars. But thank you so much for uh, sharing your wisdom. This is the college tips section of the podcast, if people haven't realized that yet. It's certainly in the 
graphic that we have there. But yeah, it, it's awesome to kind of dive into the extracurricular thing because I know it's such a big part of college admissions. And I really look forward to sharing this episode far and wide. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for listening to Top of the Class. Subscribe for future episodes. For show notes and to plan your best future, head to crimsoneducation.org.